Today's uh, message, this is going to be about the water and spirit. And looking at those, those two words, I, actually three, I think the most important out of the three is the and. Water and spirit. But I want to talk about time first, because I think time is important. Do we have a lot of time? Is our time precious? We have a lot of choices about the time, how we spend it, what we do, where we work, how much time we use to read the Bible, how much time we witness to others. Those are all choices. We had a president that some would say that he was very time conscious as he grew older. The longer Harry Truman served as president of the United States, the more time conscious he became. Over the years, his aides noticed an increasing number of clocks on his desk in the Oval Office. Every time Truman sat at his desk, he faced a barrage of timepieces. With so many significant decisions to make, Truman knew, as do all great leaders, that time was a precious resource. Napoleon allegedly told his generals, you could ask of me anything you wish except of my time. Spiritual leaders understand God has granted them adequate, adequate time to accomplish any assignment he gives them. The key to successful leadership is not creating more time, one's life, or packing more activity into one's day but staying on God's agenda. God's agenda. How might we share God's agenda with our loved ones? David Jeremiah actually gave several ways that we meet Jesus. One way that we meet Jesus is through the preaching of his word. Another way is through the concern and witness of a family member. Another way is a pointed encounter with the Savior. And another way is a powerful testimony of a friend. I actually started prepping this, this sermon over a year ago. Um, this is actually the final part of a three-part sermon. Um, some of you might have remembered when I started out with the miracle of turning the water into the wine. And about how God, Jesus, honored the family. That by that miracle, the family retained its 
respect. And I think that's very important. The second one was on the respect of the house of God and how Jesus disrupted the market and flipped the tables and didn't like how God's house was being treated. Well, when I was looking at John and the whole purpose of this, there were three major events that led up to his plan. And I really didn't even know where I was going with this over a year ago, but God's plan is John 3.16. Let me say that one more time. God's plan is John 3.16. And there was three events that led up to that verse, John 3.16, that we probably quote more than any other verse because it is God's plan that we would not perish but have everlasting life. I just get, I just feel the spirit when I say that. That we would not perish but have everlasting life with God. That is forever. So when we look at it, we we see this rising action. And we come to that third part. The first, I would have said, is the honor of the family. The second, the respect of God's house. And the third, which I think is most important of all, is the value of a spiritual education. Think about that. The education that we experience, the education that our children experience. And if you're a teacher, the education your students experience. So let's go to John chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 15. I'm definitely not going to try to be long today. I got to remember where I put my glasses. Oh, wait a second. I can read it up there. (laughs) There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher and you come from God. For no one could do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The winds blow where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born 
of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I had told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man, who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even this, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Bless the readings of his word. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just ask you, as I preach this message today, let you come through me, that I'm nothing more than a vessel. This is your message to your people. Just use me as how you want to use me. Give me the wisdom, the strength, the encouragement to do the very best as I stand in this pulpit to make you proud, to continue to follow you, to continue to worship you, and to continue to spread your good news. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if we look at this rise in action, and I, I kind of want to first kind of look at the education of the world, like in the, the eyes of Nicodemus. Well, I could go farther than that. We could look in the eyes of a lot of educators out there. We could look in the eyes of the parents out there of how do we see being born again? What does it mean that we have to, to be born again, we must be born of water and spirit? Now, we look at this rising action to, the, to really the revealing of God's plan in John 3.16 that there was really three major events. That first event was that first miracle of turning water to wine. Now, looking at that in the perspective of a religious leader like Nicodemus, and if we look at Nicodemus and kind of think, well, who is Nicodemus? Well, Dick, Nicodemus was a highly educated person. However, when he confronted Jesus, he was confused. Because he was looking at what Jesus was saying and was taking the literal aspect and really was stuck on how do I get back into the womb to be born again, that we only born once. Well, that allowed Jesus to elaborate. But as we look deeper into who he was, he was a teacher and a leader of the Israelites. 
scholars refer to him as a leader of the Sanhedrin. And, and when I'm thinking about the Sanhedrin, I was like, kind of like, how do I create this analogy? What is that like today? Well, I know that there were really two main colleges or schools, right? The Pharisees and the Sadducees. And, and between the two schools, there were leaders and those were the Sanhedrins. And they were more on the political side. It was almost like we had Duke and UNC. And they were both a part of North Carolina. And of course, over them, we, we probably, I would say, say probably the, the easiest parallel, I would say he's like on the board of education for the state. He had a say in the education of how everyone learned about God. But he was confused. Because there were some things that were happening that definitely got up to this council. And they had to send people out and really figure out what is going on. Well, they didn't send the Pharisees. It seems like the Pharisees were probably the more active. The Sadducees kind of stood to the side, but the Pharisees, they, they get up in your face and ask some questions. We read it several times that they did it to Jesus. Well, they didn't send them after Jesus first because there was someone else making some noise in the wilderness, baptizing some people. That was John the Baptist. But when the Pharisees went to John the Baptist, guess what John said? I'm not the Messiah. There's someone greater than me. I will baptize you in the water. And if we look at the word of water, what does water mean? Well, in the context and how David Jeremiah unpacks it, the water means the scripture. So John the Baptist could baptize you in the scripture. Just like a preacher of the Baptist church, we could baptize you in the scripture. We can't baptize you in the spirit. That's a choice you have to make. That's an acceptance you have to take. Like when we looked at the ways that he said that we can meet Jesus and the very first one was the preaching of the word. So we had Nicodemus. He was great at this. He took this oath in front of three witnesses that he will live the Ten Commandments for his whole entire life and that everything that he does will have to do with preaching and teaching how the Ten Commandments applies to everyone's life. Now he was working hard. We had a sermon the other day on the word work, and we look at the Greek word work is erga. And one of the fascinating things about erga, if we look at the historical context of how Paul was using that word, and I never knew this, in the historical context of that word, it means obedient to the Jewish law. 
he was working. He was being obedient to the Jewish law. He was working hard. But Jesus said to Nicodemus, you can't get in heaven by work. You could teach everything you want about the Ten Commandments. You could live by the Ten Commandments. You could lead and teach everyone, all the Jews. But that will not get you in heaven. It's not just about being obedient to the Jewish law being obedient to the Ten Commandments. And that was a struggle of this time because that's what the culture believed in. And when Paul was out there and he's writing these letters to the churches, he saw that struggle. That people still believed as they converted that they could work to get to heaven and they weren't living that faith. Now, James came back and said, okay, wait a second. Let me, there's something wrong here because you can't just have faith because if you have faith, you would also work. That they both have to go hand in hand. Because if someone that is not working, is, are they really shining their light? Are they a beacon to the community? Are they sharing the gospel. And when I think about that, and I came to a conclusion the other week, I was like, okay, someone that does not work lives in darkness. And I would encourage, don't live in darkness. Shine your light. Now, if I look at this rising action to God's plans through the eyes of Nicodemus um, and provide a academic analysis of John's claim that Jesus is the son of God. Now I'm taking a different approach. I'm taking more of that educator approach. Um, Somewhat of an expert because this is kind of my job because what I do and some of you probably had that question is that I go And I train teachers, I train principals, I train district leaders on how we might reach our students to get them to think critically. It's like I teach every single state standard for every grade level and every content, but not just for North Carolina, but because each state has different standards. So I am the expert And one of the biggest things that I work with students is how do you read something and critically think about what you're reading and to be able to analyze it. So if I did that and I kind of take the perspective of this great leader of this time, Nicodemus, that was on this big council, I would go all the way back to John 1.1. What was John's claim? Because if we look at this as a book, right? There's an argument being made here that Jesus is the son of God. And John opens up in that very first verse. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. Okay, wait a second. So what is he saying there? He is saying that this Right here, his word, 
is also God. And this word was also in the beginning. But he was also highlighting the Trinity. And a lot of us, we, we talk about the Trinity and even some religions believe that the Trinity doesn't exist, that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is the same person. Well, in that, I don't know how you not see what John's claim was in that it is the same person. But if we move down to verse 4 to kind of contribute to John's argument. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. That is powerful because the light, which is Jesus, and, and we see that the light is Jesus because in verse 9 it says, that was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. So that we see that as John is laying out this argument in that first part of chapter 1, he is establishing the Trinity. And he's establishing the authority of Jesus. Now, we go into the second part. We can see that John also had disciples. Just like Jesus had disciples. John had followers, just like Jesus had followers. And so when we look at that, John had this great following, and this became a threat. And the Pharisees came to him and asked him if he was the Messiah, and he said, no, I'm not the Messiah. But if we go farther in this claim that Jesus is the Son of God, we could look at that first miracle. And turning the water into wine. How does someone have the power to turn water into wine? Now, believe me, there was some rumors growing. Everyone knew about this miracle. It definitely got to the Sanhedrin. They were starting to really like, what is going on? Who is this man? Who is this person threatening our religion? Now, it was their job to go and investigate these miracles. And at the time, they were known for discrediting all these miracles. That there were no way that they were going to let an outsider come in and change the world. Even if it was the Son of God. I mean... Jesus said right to him, even the word, this was prophesied, and you still do not believe it. But think about that. If someone came into the church today, are we looking for Jesus? Are we looking for our pastor? Would we let Jesus take over? Or would we discredit him or her? I don't know the form that Jesus would come in. Because you know what? Jesus, if we are saved, he's in all of us. Do we quench that spirit? Do we not allow Jesus to work through others around us? Now, if we go on to the next one, now this really got the Pharisees' attention. When we look at that, that second 
sermon I did on how Jesus clears the temple courts. And, and this was like amazing. Like think about the biggest market of this time. And if we looked at the, the layout of this market, it was huge. But Jesus' words pushed everyone out of the market. He commanded it and everyone left. Can you imagine going down to the Lumbee homecoming and saying some words and everyone getting in their car and leaving? Now, this market was probably more spread out than the Lumbee homecoming. I mean, yeah, we got two different areas. We got college in between and a Burger King in between, but, but the power. Now, this really got back to the Pharisees. However, there was someone that was kind of believing. Who has this type of power? How can this not be of God? And that was Nicodemus. So if we look at this through this whole entire argument and he lays it out. So as a reader, I kind of see where he's going. If I'm unsaved, I am learning a lot about this. This is very informational. I get to learn about his, his miracles of turning water to wine and all in clearing out this marketplace and, and about John the Baptist and how everything is coming together. But that's the education of the world. That's what Nicodemus was seeing and was confused. So if I move to my, my second point, is what if we looked at this scripture through the spirit and not just the water? How does it change? How do we learn through the spirit? That's a huge question. And when I think about this, and I think about education as a whole, I mean, at least at that time, education was surrounded by the Ten Commandments. That's what they went to school to learn about. And the highly educated person, people of that time, like Nicodemus, actually had the word. Not everyone had the word. They had complete control over the word of God. They were the only one that could actually baptize you in the water, in the scripture. And as you learn the scripture, of course, then you could share it with others. But when I think about the education of today, how much are we baptizing our children in the water, in the scripture? I could look at 180 days. You go to school for six hours. And you learn about all kinds of stuff. But almost none of it is this. But we bring our children to church every Sunday, 52 weeks out of the year, versus 180 times six, we get 52 times one or two. If we come to church on Wednesday, we could double that number. 
how much time do our children spend in the scripture? Not just our children. Now, if we're Christian parents, that's, that's valuable. If we are Christian grandparents, that is valuable. That is important. Those that bring their children to church value that time. But when I started out in the very beginning, how conscious of we are we of our time? Our time is precious. The choices that we make, like going on vacation this week, or going home to watch a, a Netflix show. Sometimes we get wrapped up into eight hours of it. I'll binge, I'll be honest, I'm at fault. But I made that choice. And just like in today's lesson, everything is permissible, but not everything will build up the kingdom of the heaven. Watching Netflix for eight hours really doesn't build up the kingdom of heaven. How many of you could talk to your children or your grandchildren for eight hours about the kingdom of heaven? Has anyone ever done that? By a show of hands. Are you looking around? How do we value our time? Do we think, well, I'm not the expert. I'm just going to bring them to church on Sunday. Brother Brian and Sister Janice and, and others. <laughs> so many teachers here handle that part, right? If we spend more time with our children, our grandchildren, we have that choice. Do we start those conversations? Why are those conversations the hardest to start? Why can't we just talk about Jesus all day long, every day? So if I look at those same scriptures in a spiritual and kind of pull everything together, I go to my second page on my notes, education for God. I want to go back to verse 1-1. Look at that verse very first. Now, a lot of people see it as the establishment of the Trinity. So in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and, and the Word was God. Well, spiritually, that gives me comfort. Because I have God with me right now. That if I want to have a conversation with God... I could pick up his word and I could read it and I'm with God. Now, if I look at verse four of that same, in him was life and the life was the light of all mankind. That tells me that for me to be able to shine my light, that I would have to have the spirit within me. Well, who is the spirit? Well, we know that the Spirit and God and Jesus are all the same. So if I have his word inside me, then I can shine his word to others. And that is the light. 
how do we shine our lights unless we have the word inside us? And if we're limited to 52 weeks a year in that hour long Bible study that we did, or maybe we could go to 108 if we come on Wednesday. I say we're limited versus what it could be if we spent more time in the word. We limit ourselves. We're making choices of what to do with our time. But if we go to Luke chapter 1, verse 17. And I, I think this is what really brings it out. Like, how does this all come together? John was saying, he will also go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready people prepared for the Lord. How do we prepare ourselves? There are three ways we prepare ourselves for the Lord. The first is our family. The very first is our family. Those children, when they are born, every time you read the Bible stories to them, every time you talk about Jesus, you are preparing them to meet him, to serve him, to accept the spirit of God. That's what he says in that very first part when he was talking about the fathers. Now, in the NIV, it uses parents. We look at that second part. That's Nicodemus. Most would say he was a righteous man because he was a leader that teach the Ten Commandments. That was the church. What was going on in the church at that time? So the second most important way to prepare our children in the unsaved is the house of God. Coming to church on Sundays and Wednesdays. Because it said that we are born again, not by just water, the, the scripture, but water and the spirit. We need the scripture so that the spirit can even do something with it. And the very last one, which I, I think is very important, is the education. But if we go to Luke 141. Now, looking at the whole entire John the Baptist, and I see it a different way now. In verse 41, and it happened when Elizabeth heard the greetings of Mary, that the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist was the first to be filled with the Holy Spirit from Jesus. And you know what the miracle was? Jesus was still in the womb when he was spreading the gospel. Still in the womb. So now when I look at John the Baptist, which what I found really eye-opening 
and I think sometimes we fall short of this, is that John the Baptist baptized a lot of people in the water. But not everyone continued to follow John the Baptist. There was a person named Andrew. And when John the Baptist said that that person over there is the Messiah. And he will baptize you in the spirit. Guess what Andrew did? Follow Jesus. How many of us get baptized and follow the pastor? Doesn't matter where the pastor goes. It goes to another church you follow, right? We were never meant to follow John the Baptist. We were meant to follow Jesus. And the only way we can follow Jesus is through the Spirit. Which comes to John one thirty three. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So when we come to God's plan, and I'm going to end it here in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That was the plan. The three events that led up to the plan was the honor of the family, the respect of the church, and the value of a spiritual education. Those three things will prepare those that we love, either our children, our grandchildren, our friends, anyone and everyone that is lost. If we help with those three things, working on the family, working on their church life, and working on their spiritual education, we will see more that we love come to their knees and give their life to Jesus. So you have a choice today. Today might be your time. Your time to dedicate your life to Jesus. No longer follow John the Baptist, but follow Jesus Christ. Because all John the Baptist could do and all I could do is baptize you in the water. But there's a greater man that could baptize you in the spirit. And the only way that you could be born again is if you are baptized in the water and the spirit.
That is your choice today. Do we have a closing song? I'm going to give you an opportunity to think about that. It's your choice. All I could do is introduce you to Jesus. All I could do is share the scripture, his word with you. I even could go up there and baptize you in water. I can't baptize you in the spirit. There's only one person that can do that. And that is Jesus Christ. And when Nicodemus came to him and Jesus told him he had to be born again, Nicodemus had to come to the realization that education can't get us into heaven. Knowing the word, being able to quote every single verse in the Bible and not get us to heaven. Because that scripture, and when Jesus responded and elaborated on it, he didn't say water or spirit. He said water and spirits. And both are as equally important. Because John makes that claim in the very beginning. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And God was the Word.